Mark A. Altman, Darren Docterman, Ashley Edward Miller. Three fans who became professionals and then became... Trexperts. Inglorious Trexperts. Listen wherever you find podcasts or go to trexpertsplus.com. Hello, Trek fans and uh, all the ships at sea. We got great news for you. It's Miller time. What? 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 It's Miller time. You mean we're, day- we're getting a sponsor? No, oh. I wish. How does that song go, the Miller time? Jingle. When it's time to relax, one beer stands clear year after year. Yeah, but it should be one Trexpert. One Trexpert stands clear. Well, then you got to give me time to write the lyrics. Then oh, okay. you have to spring it on me. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Because uh, well, why are we singing this dopey song? But it is Miller time because of Ashley Edward Miller. Ashley Edward Miller is the Miller's joining tale. the Inglorious Live 2023 tour. That's the live tour that Darren and I have uh, been on. At, uh, we're doing a bunch of conventions this year, a bunch of live uh, events, and uh, we're thrilled to say that Ashley Edward Miller will be joining us on our next stop in Richmond, Virginia on March 24th through the 26th. That's March 24th through the 26th in Richmond, Virginia uh, at GalaxyCon. And, and it won't just be Darren and me and Ashley. Um, if you failed the city, Stephen Amell will be there. The great uh, Green Arrow, David Tennant. Who? David Tennant. Who? Yeah, David Tennant. Who? Um, <laughs> Catherine Tate will be uh, his companion on the trip, and uh, the great uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, Private Pyle, will be there with his uh, bald head and uh, looking very intimidating. And uh, so that's exciting. Of course, and the great. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say the great Bill Shatner is going to be there. Great Bill Shatner is going to be there. And the great John Cleese. Yes, isn't that amazing? That's exciting. Yeah, as long as he doesn't do that scene from A Fish Called Wanda where he goes out the window with the... Oh, I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) I love Fish Called Wanda. I do too. That movie is not as much in the zeitgeist anymore as... Archie Leach. Archie Leach, named after the great Cary Grant. Cary Grant. Yeah, I love that movie, but I guess because of the, it's the, the st- Kevin Klein is the st- not Kevin Klein. Uh, uh, yeah, is the stuttering. Kevin Klein. No, but I'm saying that the stuttering apparently is oh, now made yes, that movie. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, apparently, that's a not a, a yeah. thing. Yeah, Michael people, Michael Palin and his stuttering character. I, I just think it's a very funny movie. So there it's you great. Go. Uh, it's John Frakes, our good friend John yeah. Frakes, will be there. Fantastic. Gates is going to be there. I'm sure he's going to have a lot to talk about after the premiere of uh, Star Trek Picard. Indeed. Um, Terry Farrell, who we love, is going to be there. Hopefully, we'll be monitoring. And if you missed our, our Terry Farrell panel at uh, Comic-Con, I mean, at uh, GalaxyCon yeah, Columbus, Columbus. Uh, which was not recorded through no fault of our own, uh, then you really want to be there uh, for our encore uh, Q&A with Terry. Because We're going to try to do it exactly the same. We're going to ask the exact same <laughs> questions. Word for word. Like a complete encore presentation. <laughs> uh, Katie Katie Sackhoff's going to be there. Oh, that's going to be fun. She's only, awesome. Only the birds, right? Wait, only the what? Only the what did they say in Galactica? Only the wind. Only the <laughs> I don't know. What are they? I have it's, no idea what you're talking this about. Is the problem? The show's so old now. So say we all. No, they of course so say we all. But you know, nothing but the nothing but the wind. Nothing but the I don't know. Whatever. Wow. I'm completely missing this reference. I'm sorry. Uh, Carrie Jones is going to be there, who played my second favorite Wookiee. 
in uh, second uh, favorite Wookiee. I was going to say in the ballad of Boba Fett, but that's what, not what it's called. Oh, no, no. He played Black Chrysanthemum. Oh, okay. Yeah, awesome. I, I call it the Ballad of Boba Fett. It's not the Ballad of Boba Fett. What was it called? Although that was, it's the Book, Book of, of Boba, Boba Fett, but I think the Ballad of Boba Fett would have been better. Yeah, that's Probably true. Probably would have been shorter. It, that's true. Then a bunch of uh, Power Rangers are going to be there. I don't know who they are. And uh, uh, Steve Whitney, uh, Kermit the yeah. Frog. Um, uh, Dave Foley is going to be there. Ross Marquand is going to be from Walking Dead, and he also uh, replaced Hugo Weaving, if you remember, in uh, the Avengers. Uh, and of course, great. of course, we have uh, uh, non. Oh, well, I was super guests, super the guests, super guests, Superman. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. Jeff E, Sarah Douglas, Jack O'Halloran, and my favorite, Mariel Hemingway from Manhattan. And, and uh, is Mark Pillow going to be there too? He is nuclear man. Nuclear He's going to be explosive. <laughs> and Barry, Barry Boswick's going to be back. Okay, nice. well, listen, this is a long promo. This is a long promo. You know, normally promos are supposed to be like 30 seconds, but we just couldn't help ourselves. We're excited. Don't blame we're, us. We're excited. The Inglorious Live Tour has been a hit, and it's going to continue at Richmond, Virginia. So we hope we'll see you there at the end of March. And uh, if uh, that's not convenient for you, we will be heading to Raleigh, Virginia, Austin, Texas, and, of course, San Diego Comic-Con later this year. So uh, hopefully we'll see at one or more. Of I those think it's Raleigh, North Carolina. What'd I say? Raleigh, Virginia. Oh, yeah, it's, it's North Carolina. What are you talking about? It's North Carolina. <laughs> Jeez, man. It's not, even, it's not even late. I don't have an excuse for it. There's no excuse. So if you want more information on these and many other fine shows, go to galaxycon.com, galaxycon.com, and uh, we hope to see you there. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And... This is Darren Doctorman. And this is still Ashley Edward Miller. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And I am so excited about today's show. You're only as good as those around you. These days on the Enterprise made me a better man, a better father, a better friend. I thought I could inspire people to bring justice to an unjust universe. You have no idea how hard it is to be in this world. Do not presume to know what I have and have not sacrificed for this. We have to be willing to go through that door to what's next. There's a whole universe out there. Wherever you go, we go. Here, in this moment, let's do what we spent our lives learning to be great at. As long as you and your crew remain steadfast, you are never without hope. We are going to boldly go. We're going to do something we have not done ever. You know, we've celebrated yeah. the legacy of Star Trek by talking about the original series. We've done episodes on Next Generation. We, we, we've looked at shows like Voyager and Enterprise and the movies. But the one thing we haven't really talked about is anything from this century. <laughs> anything that, uh, any, <laughs> any, never anything talked we... about the future of Star Trek. And just this once, Kay. For the present. We're going to let you ask. Well, that's, it's more than that. We, we, uh, 
we're so thrilled. We're so thrilled to be able to do a show. And I call it Star Trek 10, not, uh, not, uh, Star Trek 11, not, not, uh, not Star Trek uh, Picard season three, because uh, we have, uh, we have seen, um, the first six episodes of, um, Picard season three and we've come home. It is a marvelous, marvelous show, um, that, that rekindles our passion for Star Trek and to celebrate because that's what the show is all about, about celebrating the love to celebrate the love that we have right now for this show and make no mistake. You do not need to have seen season one or season two of Picard. You need to have seen the next generation. You may have heard of that show. It was on the air for seven years. You need to have seen that. Um, Then uh, you are going to really love uh, what Terry Metalis has created and uh, the only way to truly celebrate that is to have some very, very special guests. So once again, Steve Asbell, the president of 20th Century Studios, once 20th Century Fox, now 20th Century Studios, will be joining us. Not only is he the head of uh, one of Hollywood's biggest studios, he's also a Star Trek fan extraordinaire. We also have the showrunner of 12 Monkeys and Star Trek Picard Season 3, Terry Metalis, joining us. And finally, we have number one, Captain as Riker. Our number one guest, Captain Riker, number one guy, Captain Captain William T. Riker, one William T. Riker, uh, the great Jonathan Frakes. He'll be talking about uh, his incredible experience doing the welcome, new show as well as to the uh, podcast, Captain Riker, <laughs> as well as. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, his experience doing uh, first uh, first contact directing first contact, and uh, it's a really I think a really exciting show. Obviously, uh, we talk about a lot of things. There's a lot of, we couldn't talk about. Isn't that true, guys? Oh my God, so many things we couldn't. I'm afraid talk about. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, not even we knew what we were talking about. <laughs> but I think if there's one takeaway from this this episode, uh, look, I, I've seen some things. I I, I posted something. Last week, after seeing the show, where I extolled, uh, you know, I said, this is Bush and Sundance in space. This is wonderful. It's an elegy for an age of Star Trek that, um, much like Star Trek Six, that really um, pays homage to, um, you know, the history of Star Trek and, and gives it some closure in, in a really wonderful way. Um, and uh, uh, from what I understand, uh, you know, mo- mo- most people were like, oh, well, if the Trexperts like this show, but there were people who said, oh, they, these people must be shills from Paramount. These people must be. I just want to say, look, and I don't respond to that kind of nonsense. Do you really think, <laughs> you know, it's, it, we haven't really talked about a lot about the other shows, but anybody who can read between the lines probably has intuited what we think of some of the more recent iterations. Of if this is a show that's all about the love and yeah. we're not talking about something. We, right? so, we, we may not just love it. So yeah, that's we fine. We may not love it. But it's, we do love do it. You really, do you really think that we would praise the show to the high heavens, to the moon, the moons of Nivea, um, and around British if we didn't truly that. believe this was something special? And I know some people are like, well, you know, I, I really hated the Star Trek uh, Picard season one and two, uh, but so why should I watch this? My first answer is I don't give a shit if you watch it. I don't get paid. <laughs> 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 you know, but 
for Terry's sake and Jonathan's and for your your sake as a Star Trek fan, you should probably watch it. You should probably watch it. Probably be wise. At least give it an you know, episode. Then tell us we're wrong. Because I love that. I love when people say, well, I'm going to wait. I'm not sure I'm going to. Well, I'm like, I don't care. It's not my show. I don't care if you watch it or not. Do whatever the hell you want. Do it because, because that is what, what you wish, wish to, do. to do. Oh my god! <laughs> Coming a mile. But away. I really, you know, but 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 the reason I think, and all of us have stepped up. I love what Ashley. I love what you said about about our our. Um, Only Nixon can food. go to China. <laughs> Only Nixon can go to China. I love that, and it's true. I, I you know, and it's funny because I, I mentioned this during the podcast. I said, you know, for the last six months or so, Rob Burnett has been our good friend. Rob Burnett has been uh, screaming from the belfry. Uh, how great this is um and how how wonderful it is how wonderful and uh you know i tend to to find myself very simpatico with rob on a lot of things but it just seems impossible to conceive that the show could be as good as rob made it sound you know I, I, and uh i have to say i was not disappointed ashley what do you think oh my god i was more than not disappointed i was overjoyed it was um it's like being wrapped in joy. It was uh, no, it was it was honestly it was it was having my faith in Star Trek restored. I uh, I was beginning to question whether I was actually going to love it again or if it was just going to be like looking back nostalgically at an old girlfriend that I had an amazing relationship with, and then it was all kind of over now. But I still like to talk about it in a non creepy way. Uh, but now, like she's back from outer space, uh, and um, it just. <laughs> It, it just it feels it feels nice to just be in love with it again. It just does. What do you think, Darren? You it, you, uh, you watch the show now. I've uh, I've seen uh, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Um, it uh, it made me feel like a uh, like a gatekeeper. It really did uh, <laughs> because it it. it uh, you know how how uh, Kirk says, uh, and you've restored my sons. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of feels like that a little bit, and it's it's funny that the the tiniest things really filled me with joy, including the end credit font. Um, it, it just actually gave a no. visceral reaction, and that's just weird, but it's real. So uh, I uh, I heartily endorse it. Well, it's so great to see those characters get more substantive roles than they've ever had. Some of those supporting characters uh, who all are showcased in really great ways. Gates, um, Michael, you know, um, obviously uh, it's probably the best Riker's ever been. And it's funny because, you know, I was thinking about this the other day and just how had we seen this before we did our marathon 101 greatest characters that start to characters well done i think we would have had some changes i think mm-hmm. i think probably the character of Riker would have been higher on a list i think yep. perhaps picard might have even been higher yep um and i he might have I, made I, number I, eight and and there are characters and i only mentioned characters in the first episode but the character of um of 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 uh laforge of sydney right. laforge and um uh captain shaw and uh yep. And 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 uh, possibly some other characters as well would have made that list, or I would have certainly argued to, that they belonged on that list. Had had we, I think there are a few we probably could have lost mm-hmm. uh, in their stead. 
Yeah, I loved Captain Shaw so much, I would have jumped up and down to get Captain Shaw on that list. And, you know, we've seen so character. many lame Star Trek captains like Captain Esteban and Captain Harriman and Captain Styles. Um, Styles. It's like so great to see a captain you believe could actually be the captain of a starship. You know, right. you may not but like him. You... But he's not like other captains. That's mm -hmm. the great thing. He's not yeah. he's not the cookie cutter. He's someone completely different. Yet still, uh, he belongs there. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. And um, each great, uh, you know, because again, this podcast is so much about celebrating the love, to see how much excitement uh, for Star Trek there was um, among Steve and us. And I think it, it, it took Terry, I think, a little bit by surprise. He was, you know, so humbled by this whole experience. And I think it's it's remarkable what he's achieved because this this is truly the fitting, uh, I, I don't want to say coda or epilogue or conclusion, because I hope that it's not, but it truly is the fitting continuation of the next generation post-nemesis. Um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's true to their characters. It, it develops them and deepens them. It enriches them. And it just celebrates the nearly 60-year legacy of Star Trek in a really fresh and uh, exciting way that it reminds us why we love this franchise so much. Well, let's let's quit yakking and bring the guests in. Let's do it. So now, with any further ado, um, joining us here on the Trexperts on this um, premiere date of Star Trek Picard season three, we bring in showrunner Terry Metalis, uh, studio executive Steve Asbell, and number one director, actor, Mensch. Jonathan Frakes. Well, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Welcome aboard. I got to tell you, I think we're celebrating kind of the alpha and omega, the next generation and the next next generation of Star Trek tonight, because, of course, um, we're talking about the phenomenal uh, motion picture First Contact with its director and the next next generation with Terry Metalis, who's done something that has eluded many people over many years and uh we're here to talk about how extraordinary i can't i mean people are not used to me saying these types of things <laughs> how extraordinary his work on uh star trek picard season three is although you really can call it star trek 11. i mean it's a feature wow i mean yeah. does, very does it feel feature. that way it's like five oh. features steve wow. asbell did it feel like a feature to you you know a little something about movies <laughs> It felt like a few features in one, um, but a, a, a great story over 10 hours. If I, I mean, I presume, I, I don't, I only know. That he has not seen. He right. will there feel are always possibilities. Yeah, I, I was saying if this goes well, we'll bring you back to talk about Crimson Tide. And if it goes badly, we'll bring you back to talk about Nemesis. So, um, <laughs> oh, see? Well, wow. You're not a minute. Right there. Right there. Special guest Stuart Baird. I, you know, I wonder, you know, it's funny. Well, first I want to say thank you because Mark and Darren, you are some hardcore, tough Star Trek critics. And to 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 get that kind of praise from you is 
is very meaningful and I I, I appreciate it very well, much. Well, the, the funny thing is, it's it wasn't that difficult. You know, it wasn't that difficult to get us to like a Star Trek show. Yeah. Just, you know, I don't know, make it Star Trek. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Good. I would say it's not that difficult to get you to like. <laughs> well, it's very sincere. It is. Uh, it, yeah. It, it hit me in the feels roughly every 10 minutes. And, and that's the extraordinary thing because, I, you know, I read these idiots on the Internet who then say, oh, they must be paying these people off to say these things. Like, when was the last time I said anything nice about Star Trek? Probably first contact. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's, uh, it, it's, 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 it's pretty crazy. But, you know, Jonathan, I want to ask you because I remember very vividly when you were filming All Good Things and um, – I asked you, do you have any regrets about Next Generation? Obviously, it's a huge success. People love it. It's going to have this incredible legacy. Who, who knew it would be this, this rich and, and carrying on all these years later? But you said to me something very interesting. You said, the one thing I regret is we didn't have the iron, you know, ironic relationship that Kirk and Spock had. I just wish I was hungry for that kind of banter, that kind of relationship. Well, that Kirk, actually, Kirk, Spock, and Bones had that triangle that was yeah. wonderful. And we thought we really looked for it with Brent and Patrick, and never quite captured it until now. Well, and I think it, it, it. A lot of it is. Um, Worf and, and Riker have a special thing now, and Riker and Picard are at odds for a change, which is very rare. Right. Well, I think by the time this drops, they'll have only seen the first episode. But as a, that's a great tease, I think. But. Uh, but God, I would say, so careful. <laughs> but I think, I mean, look, I think what this one does is, it's you two. I think you know, it's Butch and Sundance in the 25th century. I think that that's, which is the thing that we set out to do back when I when you were shooting season two. Mm. But what I, was, yeah, go ahead. Fine. Well, I was gonna say, what was your response when you, you were directing and, and Terry, you know, sort of called you aside and said. Hey, uh, I want you to get back in front of the camera again, and it's going to be heavy lifting for you. And uh, he, he, I said earlier, he, he sort of chummed the water a little bit. Do you want? Are you ready? Are you ready to play Riker? What I thought was saying was, you better go to the gym and lose some weight. Lines? <laughs> are you going to trim your beard? Don't cut your hair. You know, there was a lot of my uh, vanity kicked in, my uh, paranoia, my interest was totally peaked. And then it was, like you, Mark, it was better than I dared dream. And it was, I, I don't, it's not hyperbole to say it's the best Riker material I've ever had. And I've done 182 episodes and four, now 192 <laughs> episodes. And it, it, it really is. It's, it's, the, it's the most interesting and he captures it and he let me play the, uh, what Roddenberry didn't always love, which was he let a lot of, Frakes into the Riker, which I kind of enjoyed, and I'm uh, I'm I'm dangerously optimistic, right? Because of the way that things have been going in the press and in the on social, it's yeah, it seems, and and I'm of course we're all looking at it with these blinders on the people who don't know or care about the franchise. I'm sure no, it's it's very I'm, hard. I mean, that's what I I I was so lucky to, when Terry invited me to watch it because I know we've all done stuff and and worked on movies and shows and you never know. Like you do a thing, you're working and you think it's pretty good, but you have no idea how it's going to play whether to fans or or anybody else. And then I always find that thing too where it's like people go this is amazing. You're like it is. Not that it's not, but you just you can never sort of process it in that same way. 
And I think it's so, it's why it was so easy for me to gush because I'm like, I know how that Terry's like, I don't know. No one's seen it. It's probably just okay. And it's like, it's no, it's, it's really, really, really good. Creatives are are always too close to the material. Yeah. Um, and there's no perspective until be. you until you release it uh, into the wild, and that's well, the that's one of the scary and wonderful things about it. Well, you are all very kind. Well, the other aspect of it is we finished it in the summer. Yeah. So we've been sitting on this for six months. Yeah. That, that can drive a person insane. Just waiting, especially yeah. the guy sitting next to you who is renowned for dropping spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> not naming names. <laughs> he's not bad. He's not at all. He's he's in great. But I mean, just to go back, as you know, we we sat down here to talk about first contact. I mean, the the thing that's remarkable about what Jonathan does this season is not only is he uh, at the top of his game and his performance, I think, of Riker, but he directs three and four, uh, which people will see. Uh, haven't seen yet, but I think are some of the best. Not only television, but I, 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 w- I would put it up with a feature film. I, I put it. I would put it right up with First Contact, which is uh, um, one of my favorite Star Trek movies. In fact, there's a start. There's a couple of First Contact Easter eggs in the first episode, specifically Picard's authorization four seven Alpha Tango. <laughs> is 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 in it a few times in the season um but uh so it was a, a thrill but you know the the thing about the thing you said Jonathan about is uh writing to you is just hanging out with you while working with you and prepping and during season 2 i don't know why anyone wouldn't write more towards your voice for riker yeah well uh, you know who 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 uh the last one who got it was uh, Morris Hurley. I was going to ask you about that. Yep. Said, uh, we, took, we went to the track, actually. He had a horse. And that's how uh, Minuet came about. And that's She was how, the horse? Nah. Oh. <laughs> he, um, Riker all of a sudden played the trombone. He, he appreciated jazz. And um, it, was, it, was, it was very helpful. And Brandon and Ron also understood I mean, I was friends with both of them in a in a very positive way. But there were seven or eight or nine regulars on the show, and you remember famously Denise Crosby, who was the head of security on on the show, said to Roddenberry, the late great, um, "Please either write more for me, or or write me out of the show." And Gene said, "I'm already struggling with trying to serve eight characters," right. and. Uh, so he took her at her word and gave her a wonderful exit. But there were a lot of characters in that show to to service. And in Picard, because of the obviously because of the title of the series, there's a character who we've spent two years developing at the center of the story, and then weaving our, his old friends in was I, th- I thought very very stealthily and and. Uh, exquisitely handled by Mr. Metallus. We're you, a lot of smoke up your ass tonight, Terry. <laughs> no, no, I mean, you know, and it's, it's yeah, well-deserved. And it's very hard for me to be this complimentary for that very, very reason. But, you know, it's it's interesting because coming off of Generations, um, which, you know, was a big success financially, but very mixed critically, uh, and, and didn't, in a lot of ways, didn't capture the the 
unique alchemy of the series you were kind of doing a course correction with first contact and we you know you could make the same argument that all these years later terry is kind of doing the same thing for a lot of people who had mixed feelings maybe about the first two seasons of picard it, you know this is definitely the answer to you know answered prayers for some people um and i wonder if you could talk about what it was like for you stepping in to first contact because of course um, it was a unique experience. They weren't happy with David Carson. You knew that they had offered the picture or wanted to offer the picture to I don't Rick know Colby. That, I don't know that they weren't happy with David Carson. Carson had trouble giving the film up to um, to John Goldman and and letting him release it. Mm. But I, I thought Carson was a wonderful director. I'm not sure that that was the greatest script. And should we not have had some connection between the two companies and generations? Mm -hmm. right? But... Ron and Brandon's script was kind of bulletproof. It had, had these fabulous overarching stories about time travel and about um, Data's, you know, sexuality and uh, loyalty and, and all, the, all the great Star Trek themes were there. And I've, as I've been talking about it, I think one of the things that really helped the success, besides the fact that the script was wonderful, was that when Alfred Woodard and Alice Krieger and, and James Cromwell joined the company as the other three players, mm -hmm. they somehow got it in the same... They felt like part of the family. It didn't feel like we had hired these movie stars and they were plugged right. in characters. They right. were, I think, brilliantly cast. And uh, he was just coming off Babe. Right. Oh, mm -hmm. So he was really hot shit. And... That he was zany. He was zany and bizarre in a way that we haven't seen a character. No one knew what Zephyr Cochran was going to be like. And Alfrey is one of the finest American actors. And she brought a whole different quality than I think yeah. I've seen, especially in a relationship with Picard. And Alice was so sexy and so smart and so dangerous. And between Alice's work with um with um John Knoll, who created that mm -hmm. effect she, I mean it was a lot of masterful things happened, and the lightning was caught in the bottle in a lot of ways in that movie. And Jerry Goldsmith, one of his greatest scores. Yes, of all. That was, I mean, his return. I mean, also, Mr. Barton uh, does a very nice job. Uh, Stephen Barton, who scored this season with you guys, really incredible work. I agree. Not just weaving all of those themes, uh, but but some terrific original material that feels right yeah. uh, up there with the rest of the best track themes. Well, that well, is like, that is the, the coin of phrase music to my ears. Cause that, it was one of the first things. I'm one of those weird guys that will start talking about a score while he's pitching the idea of, of a thing and bringing back Goldsmith and Horner and, 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 and the sound of that, that, that feature. Idleman. Yeah. Idleman had some of those, those sweeps. There's even some Leonard Roseman in there. there there's, there's, there, it's, it, it's. <laughs> this is Darren and Darren and Mark are just clutching themselves. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Leonard Roseman and Cliff Idleman. I, I, I like Cliff Idleman. I like Idleman. Sneer, yeah. Yeah. They sneered at me. Uh, uh, Not at all. Notice what we didn't say, but. Yeah. But it's, it's, uh, it, you know, it's all, all, all very meaningful, but I actually, I mean, Jonathan, you know, I would ask Jonathan all the time on set. I'm like, tell me, what was it like? To be in a scoring session with Jerry Goldsmith, what was it? No. I'm working with a writer now named uh, Lucas Kendall, who used to write the um, yeah, you know, Film Store Monthly. Sure, yeah, we Monthly. Know, he's one yeah. of our uh, one of our friends. Yeah, he's uh, he's written a wonderful uh, 
story or essentially, I think, a series about um, an avid Star Trek fan. Oh, wow. And making a fan film with a, you know, some dealers in the dealer room. And it's, 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 it's captured, it captures the conventions thing in a way that Galaxy Quest did. Mm. So I'm trying. Well, those are definitely unique experiences. I know Darren must have a question for you. We've asked Brandon this about, uh, um, Zephyrin Cochran specifically and Jamie Cromwell's performance. You read my mind. I knew I could tell. I could just see from that look you wanted to ask. Look, so maybe you'll get a different answer this time. Maybe if you if you want to if you want a different answer, uh, ask a different girl. Um, the uh, look, a lot of fan speculation as to the personification of Zephyrin Cochran uh, lead us to believe there are some connections to the man that Gene Roddenberry was. And, you know, we, we spoke to Brandon before and he said, no, there was absolutely no connection. Come on. Of course there is. It comes across. And I'm just wondering if you felt that at all and if you can, uh, tried to convey that. I'm embarrassed to say that's the first time anyone has ever asked me that question. Really? Yeah. And I mean, clearly with the booze, you would suspect that that would have been asked. Yeah, not, not just mm-hmm. the booze, but, you know, the, 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 public's later perception of him print the legend in in contrast with how we meet the real man and the booze i I don't think i never think of gene as uh shying away from uh fame and publicity and being in the spotlight the way that Mm. claimed to be when we're he he just wanted to you know it was just his little spaceship and his little experiment and uh, that, that didn't feel gene to me at all the physicality of of uh, Cromwell, who's six seven probably, and Gene was probably six four six five, and had the yeah. longest hands and fingers of any living human. And there was a lot of similar physicality. But but I didn't know Gene when he was when he would probably have kicked the jukebox and danced and right deal with the girls. I, I but I can't believe that's a such an astute question and an obvious one. I think that um that I've never I've never been asked, Darren. <laughs> for everyone. Look, because we we, we uh, at least have perceived your relationship to Gene during the beginning of Next Generation and that uh, you were one of the most enthusiastic participants in that. You know, we see that from you, you giving a toast at a dinner table to the next generation. And, you know, it's you had such enthusiasm. He did your Four. Superman voice, Jonathan. Did you? I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just did his De Niro enthusiasm. He's enthusiasm. But the the process of you getting to know Gene a little bit at that at that time during his you know his uh, his sort of last uh, uh, activities in the in the world of Star Trek. Um, how did that how did that affect you? What did you think of him? What did he think of you? I think one of the reasons I got to know him is because it took me seven auditions over six weeks to be finalized as as Riker. And mm-hmm. the last four or five of them were would start in his office with uh, the, the late great Corey Allen, who directed the pilot. Yeah. So Corey would run the scenes with me, and Gene would tell me what he believed. This is, I use this at, at the conventions. He would told me what he thought the 23rd century would be back, would be like, excuse me. And he said, in the future, there'll be no hunger and there'll be no greed. 
and right. all the children will know how to read. And he was unironic. Yeah. Absolutely sincere. And I was so, I had the same shirt on that I used to, I wore the same shirt for seven auditions. So I was, I was in his office. I was a nervous wreck. It never, <laughs> I was just learning about the sort of cultural place that Star Trek had in the world. So I was naive and nervous and hungry and excited. And it was a, uh, a very memorable time. Also, Gene and Major invited us all to their house. They had a massive estate in Bel Air. Yeah, yeah. We'd go to parties. They were big on Christmas parties, and we beat. That's how we ended up with um, <laughs> Mick Fleetwood on the show because they were friends from the country club and Fleetwood. <laughs> it was I, an absurd world at that time. I want to drill down for both of you on some production-related issues. What was really interesting is you're coming off with first contact generations. John, the great John Alonzo shot it, but it was a very unique look. Speaking of the same, look what's behind our friend. I know Chinatown. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which, which is interesting because that was a Paramount yeah, film. It's really fun <laughs> when you work at uh, Disney and they ask about that a lot. And, and, and one of the first <laughs> things on you Disney see Plus. is Alonzo a lot was, of stuff. Was a replacement on Chinatown. Yeah. Oh, and right. Jerry yeah. Goldsmith was too. Yeah, yeah. Bill Smith so, uh, uh, you open the picture with a lot of steady cam work, a lot of handheld stuff you never really saw much in the series. Like, how much for you was, you know, get when you got in the first contact? I mean, obviously you could get the crane now, you could do things, you know, more takes, all that. But how 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 cognizant were you? Like, I'm gonna just shoot this differently than when I was doing the TV show. Uh, you know, I'm really gonna approach. I'm gonna announce my. Self as the director early on because I mean you come right into that movie and it's a visual tour de force you know from that first and that huge I've never seen I was there that day you shot that dolly track I've never seen that much dolly track the pullback on you know Picard even with the matte painting you had a huge dolly there so I mean t tell us a little bit about you know sort that, of directorially that, that thought was um, inspired by Sweeney Todd which I hmm. saw three or four times in New York. Oh. First with Len Carrier, then with uh, George Hearn, both with Angela Lansbury. Mm, um, right. The theater, I don't remember the name of the theater it was in, had been, you know, which is common now for a theater. The, the set had been built out into the audience so that you felt you were in that uh, Fleet Street that, uh, that Barbara lived in and worked in. So Professor Sid Dutton was the, it was the yeah. ILM that did that shot. Yeah. Bill Taylor and Sid Dutton, Illusion Arts. Exactly. Are they both still with us? Uh, Bill Taylor passed away. Uh, I think uh, Sid is still around. I think these guys were fantastic. Yeah, and they totally holds up. That shot holds up. It does hold up, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. a lot of people have stolen it. You know, you see it a lot. That that uh, especially with a pincer right into the eyeball. Oh. So that was designed and and budgeted. So I felt somehow that we've established a uh, visual identity because, you know, Rick Berman, who was the keeper of all things Star Trek, we had to persuade him that we could cut out of a moving shot into another moving shot. He was a very, very old-fashioned producer. Yeah. All story, 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 like some of my producers on the other Star Treks who shall remain nameless. But there's, a, um, there's an element to having a new DP, uh, Matt Leonetti, and um, a budget, and you know Borg vision. We played with the lens. We found that ten millimeter mm -hmm. spherical lens that became the Borg vision, which is, was also cool. So there were a couple of elements that were in place early 
that um, helped to define the law. And I love the Dutch stuff, you know, and Rick used to hate Dutch, but we everybody bought into it. It was, it was fun. And I think Rick had fun because he wasn't worried about episodes of Deep Throat Nine and, you know, Voyages and, you know, whatever the other shows were called. It was uh, <laughs> not a Freudian. It's actually called Deep Throat Nine. Um, <laughs> can, I, can I just, Mark, if you don't mind, I just, I would love to zoom out for one second. And Jonathan, I hope you don't mind me asking the, the simplistic question for at least simplistic in this company. Um, what was the genesis of you coming to direct the picture oh. and, you know, how, um, sort of early on, I mean, I'm sure you sort of stayed in on it in terms of the, of the creation of the idea and the script, but, you know, I've always been, the reason I'm asking the question behind it is that I've always found it fascinating that, that you guys were doing those films, the next generation films, while the other shows were on the air, there was so much happening. And often, as you said, with Rick, the same people. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that I imagine is obligated. Well, Mark's heard this story ad infinitum, but I'll I'll share it with you because I I kind of like the ending of it. <laughs> Patrick and others, of course, wanted to get Zemeckis or Spielberg or, or mm -hmm. Cameron. They wanted a big action adventure famous director. But the truth was it was Star Trek eight. Right. And then the um the filmmakers who um were excited about being about making the movie were people that either Patrick who had director's approval or Rick didn't know. And Sherry Lansing, who was the head of the studio at the time, again, this is a urban legend because I've heard it fourth hand says to Rick Berman, I love what you guys do with these Star Trek movies. <laughs> you, you know, you book it. And, uh, so I threw my hat in the ring, Conway, a lot of us, who had worked on the show and had some success mm -hmm. um, did and never expected. I mean, we all assumed that just like we got a, you know, what essentially was a, a movie DP and a movie composer and, you know, that there would be a movie director. And uh, after weeks of wondering, I was sent to uh, Jerry's Deli in the Valley to have a lunch with Patrick, who I would <laughs> have had lunch with in Jerry's Deli in the Valley anyway. May it rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah, rest in peace is right. We still go to arts, right, Terry? Yep. <laughs> right. So they um Patrick said this is an official lunch for me to tell you that I want you to be in the to uh, direct the movie. And it was it blew my mind. And it changed my wow. life. It was it was fantastic. It was but again, to go back to the beginning of the conversation, Ron and Brandon's script was kind of bulletproof and it was mine to screw mm -hmm. up. Well, let's talk about that script for a second and kind of how you how you prepped that, right? Because, look, the Dolly shot is amazing. It's a beautifully shot uh, Star Trek movie, number one. Just a beautifully shot movie. Um, and you did a lot of really cool set pieces in it. You know, the fight on the deflector dish was really great. It was really clever. And uh, pretty CG. Fighting part of the movie. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that scene. And I love, you know, the, the um, you know, just the, 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 everybody abandoning the Enterprise. It's all great. But... Here's the thing that, that stands out to me, right? And it comes back to that script. And, you know, you were talking very early on about, you know, you had, you know, this huge cast of, of characters who were in the regular ensemble. Then you had James Cromwell, you had Alfred Woodard, you had Alice Kriega, um, all these very experienced, great actors who, look, as we all know, 
very often great actors have great expectations. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of prep that you would have to go through as a, as a director, I imagine. And my experience with directors is everybody approaches those things very differently. So when you sat down with, say, Alice Krieger, you know, or with Alfre Woodard, like how, or, or frankly, anybody from the ensemble, how did you, how did you talk about the script with them, you know, or did you just kind of let them fly? I can't imagine that you did because those performances all felt so cohesive to me. That's actually a wonderful question. Alfre Woodard is my godmother. So I was able to offer her the movie. And That's she, so cool. She wow. was, yeah, I, when I got to pet to, um, to LA, I stayed with a dear friend of mine who I'd lived with at Penn State named Nathan Cook, who may he rest in peace with an actor from White Shadow and Hotel. And he and Alfred lived together. She was working at the taper and we were at barbecues and stuff. And, and the one thing led to another. And she said, what do you mean you don't have a godmother? I said, well, I, you know, in my family, I, 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 and that was it. She wasn't having it. I will be your godmother. And I said, well, what's, what's the job entail? She said, I'm in charge of your spiritual self. So I said, oh, man. And I just wow, don't know. That is so what cool. What a score for me. That's amazing. <laughs> I, so I scored Alfred Woodard as my godmother and then was able to offer her the lead in a uh, in a movie that was, and she said since she came to this 25th anniversary, the most financially successful movie she's ever been in. Wow. Wow. <laughs> been nominated for Oscars. So that was Alfred. So she, she was kind of putty in my hands because she trusted that I was going to take care of her and lead her through the Star Trek world. And she loved working with Patrick. Alice Krieger, we looked at all these movie stars and Alice had, I remember Isabella Rossellini coming in. It was a fascinating group of, of um, actors that came in for that. And she, that was, um that was a meeting with uh, the, the writers and, and Alice and John, because Alice and uh, the costume, you know, um, Westmore, Zimmerman, Noel, Rick, that was it. The Lord Queen wasn't just about acting, obviously. There was a lot going on. Yeah. In fact, she had to get there at three in the morning and then suit and all that business. So she brought her own quiet patience, which ended up somehow translating into this sexy power. She brought all that with her to the to the room. And Cromwell we all loved from because at this point he was what was he, 65, 70 years old. I mean he was he had a great career. And he was kind of a yeah. wonderful and babe didn't hurt, you know. Right. He was, he was, he, it wasn't Cromwell, but it was I mean it wasn't um Zephram, but it was somebody who had a wonderful uh, of a vibe that was yeah. so that's with those three and then we discovered Neil McDonough and I gave um, Adam Scott his first job I yeah. know it's right on the Defiant yeah yeah did you look at Glenn Corbett's performance in Metamorphosis at all or just yes, put that aside yeah yeah, yeah. Well, here's something this could be I've talked to you a lot Mark <laughs> you <laughs> have I'm so sorry no no <laughs> here's a little bit of deep Inside baseball, Glenn Corbett was on the doctors, which was my first job ever. When I played Tom Carroll, the troubled uh, Vietnam vet child beater, 
Glenn Corbett was one of the leading men on that soap. Wow. <laughs> That's Glenn crazy. That from Cochrane. Now, did any of you know that before? No, no. no. That's a, that's an exclusive. Alfred Woodard, God, Godmother, there's so much knowledge being dropped here. This is amazing. Six degrees of Zephram Cochran. It's time to reissue the 50-year mission. Then eating bacon <laughs> with James Cromwell, okay. that had to I, be... I want to ask Terry, I want to ask Terry, because we talked a little bit about the production of First Contact, but I have to say, first, I, I was in awe as a fan, but I was also in awe as a showrunner of what you pulled off logistically, using the standing sets that existed, building some new sets and making it feel like a, a movie or certainly a very, very expensive miniseries. I mean, it, it, and I'd love if you could talk about that because I mean, it's so clever. It's so clever how you use those sets. And obviously we're not going to go into future episodes. I mean, you see it in the first episode, you know, the Titan is part of the, the show. Um, you'll see other sets that you may have seen before. And, uh, I'm just, I'm just like, I keep, I'm amazed. Like, where? And it, this is not like you have all the money in the world. This is not House of, no. House of the Dragon. No. And uh, so tell us a little bit we about that. We did not have any money. We oh, had, come on, Terry. We, we had, um, and the cast, I'm sure, wasn't cheap. The above the line on this one, it wasn't just Patrick. You had a few expensive actors there, too. Name one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Uh, well, I mean, look, the, the good news is we had Dave Blass building those Starship sets. And when you have great Starship sets, it's kind of all you need. If I, I wanted to make a Starship show, that's Star Trek to me. That's if the Wrath of Khan. I mean, the budget on Wrath of Khan is not mm -hmm. gigantic and it's considered the best Star Trek film of all time. 13 and million. And yeah. you're on a bridge. Um, and you're and, on all the sets built for Star Trek, the motion right. picture. Yeah. Exactly. You're, you're never on location. Um, and and so that was that was how I argued to the studio that we would, quote unquote, save money was to that we were that we were doing it, uh, going back to the the Star Trek model, which was was, you know, there there is one set I'll, I'll say after we wrapped that is a that is a, a, essentially a swing set that we rebuilt six or seven times from season two. That is, you won't recognize is the same set over and over again, but it is, and that's just how you got to make television, and hope, um, and that's the nature. But you write towards, uh, I mean, I mean, that's that's the great thing about Star Trek is all the action is on the bridge. You can do lots of different kinds of scenes on a bridge. You can do, you know, uh, you can't talk about action, action drama, whispering, action, drama, views, being <laughs> conversation. You could do romance. You could do all 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 these things. Um, and if it looks great and it sounds great and your score is great, it's gonna it's gonna feel like a, a feature. Well, but Jonathan, I, keeping that fresh is challenging, isn't it? I mean, how many times have you shot the bridge? You know, of, of these various ships. I love the bridge. When I go on other shows at, uh, on Discovery and uh, Strange New Worlds, and there are directors who come in who haven't shot the bridge, they're terrified. Yeah, it's, it's the most freeing. It's it's the greatest set. They're all built to fill the animal. Yeah. Then. Yeah, the uh, actors very rarely move around, so you can fuck around with the camera. And when they do move, it means so much. It's so clear how to use the room dramatically. It's a, it's a. They're great sets. And there's there's always something interesting in the background. Yes, exactly. Like a cooter. Yeah, Herman yeah. Zimmerman. That's the other thing that Terry did. He brought uh, John Eves or, or Blast did. John yeah. Eves. Well, we brought, we brought yeah. everybody back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Drexler, the whole gang. The yeah, guy was all there. Exactly. 
you know, Terry, when you, how did you, you mentioned selling everybody on it, you know, what was, what was your approach? I mean, do you feel that having worked on 12 Monkeys and done that for sci-fi and working on a much tighter budget sort of prepared you? Yes, without question. Without question, because you, you, well, the first thing you have to do is you got to know where you're going. You have to know the whole story. Uh, And so that allows you to plan a lot of you have seen uh, ahead. So you know that, that there is... Some more than others. Some more than others, but there's some, <laughs> there are some... I know nothing. Intimate scenes that come up that are just two people in a room. But if they're loaded right and you write them right, they can be the most interesting scenes in their that's, cut, right? That's, that's the thing I wanted to compliment you on, Terry. Again, I'm sorry, but but it is it is that thing where scenes, things that shouldn't work because they're, uh, I you know, when you have to explain, for example, why. Well, I guess this is still the first episode of the sort of the the Beverly and Picard. What the separation, the 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 gap in years, and why, and the th- and you could imagine different versions of that explanation when it's a scene between those two actors um you know being like wow well all this other stuff these other two seasons all these other things happen you have to you know you're sitting atop other story that's been told um and having to sell something that you know could feel and it's just so poignant and 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 real well, Jonathan and, um, has two two handers in his episode yeah that are as good as any space battle your scene with Ed it, 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 when he, you know, sort of the you're discovery, gonna to, you're gonna have been, to cut these this up, Mark. Because, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying details. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying details. I'm just that's saying, true. Okay, all right. We're so far. We're right. Okay. I'm not gonna. We're be, very vague. Saying, very vague. Right, we're right. What carries, yeah. what carries the show is it's just fucking good writing. Like it is. I mean, there's lots of things about it that are fun because they're there were fans and and we want to return to see how those characters have have evolved. Except but for the scene with Joe Piscopo in episode 11. I really didn't yeah, like that. When the comedian <laughs> comes back. Yeah. They were weird sold. they took over the Enterprise, like, I thought. Like, who knew? I think that's... Uh, well, Steve, again, uh, I love you. You're the greatest. Thank you. But, the, but uh, that is like... But that's 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 television. And and Jonathan will know. And, and, and Jonathan has... I mean, talk about uh, a partner through every minute of season three. We'll oh, tell man. you. Those scenes are really hard to do because some some of them not only have the pressure of just being good television, they have the pressure of honoring a legacy of characters that have been around 30 years that if you get wrong, you have tarnished those characters uh, and and ruined them. Uh, and, and so you, you have to honor so much. <laughs> Uh, in one scene, in one scene in particular, I think which scene, Steve, that I think that you're you're referencing, uh, Jonathan will tell you, we had about eight different versions of it and rehearsals of and mm-hmm. discussions of um, to make sure everything was right about it. John, you, Jonathan, you, you you scored with Ed too. I'm just going to say without saying anything more. You did. I mean. I was like, and I think I mentioned to you, I think I'd, I'd not met him before, but he's tested stuff for, like, I knew his name, but wow. I you're, mean, it, 
Very lucky. Well, you, you made all that just feel effortless in those scenes. And, you know, obviously I, I completely get what you're talking about with, you know, feeling the the pressure of honoring the legacy and and wanting to be true, true to those characters. But I, I think what what makes every single one of those scenes work, and it, you know, it's again the, the show just kicked me like right in the guts, like again and again with those scenes, because they felt um, not just like uh, attempts to fill in gaps uh, or attempts to explicate changes in in people's lives or what was going on in their relationships, um, but they felt very incisive and very real. And one of the things that that struck me um, about the the first six episodes, I mean, who knows? Maybe it all falls apart in seven through ten. We don't know. We haven't seen it. Uh, but, I'm trying uh, to do those, my best here. I'm trying to keep my, my It's going to, you know, I'm sorry. six episodes, you like... The first six are great. They're, they're right. terrific, and then it's awful. No. Um, you hold together, like, just in terms of just the the emotions the themes um there is just a thematic unity uh to what you're doing in that show and i don't even want to talk about the themes because my god the themes are a spoiler yeah. the themes can we all come back together that's really I mean, I feel like this is like we're just like, telling you, know, you, know, you guys for god's sake we can't you know that scene and we can't talk about that was brilliant i will say they're both Steve and Jonathan have been therapists for me via text and been been around for me because it's very even when the 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 football trailer aired, um, which is heavy on the action of it. You know, it even starts with a joke about action. Right. If I I was I was I was telling Steve, I was like I foolishly watched reaction videos on YouTube. And to which people are like, oh, this is clearly the sequel to, to to a show that had measure of a man and inner light. And I'm like, oh my God, they're right. My I I I have I have failed. You failed. Like, You're a minute. failure. It's a, it's a trailer during a football game. And and and, <laughs> the and football players like the other thing talking, is like Patrick's talking over them. And I was like, like that was wild, yeah. wasn't it? That was a wild, I was that was like, a wild concept. Yeah. Yeah. We're deliberately and the other thing about the trailers, you're deliberately you can't really talk because we're hiding the ball on like nine plot points as you all know right and because i really didn't want to spoil what the season was about but that pressures a lot for star trek fans when you love something like let me ask you guys a question like as to i i I don't i mean just the world of streaming i guess jonathan you can speak to this better than any of us sort of going from you know the the sort of phenomenon of star trek which has been you know syndicated throughout its time and 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 certainly you know had its moments where it just burst through pop culture you know like star trek 4 comes out and by the end of next generation you know everybody knew i always say it was things my mom knew it was like my mom had heard of 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 it and seeing the movies or at least knew the characters names and certainly by the time you know you were making first contact uh it, it it felt like it was it had pierced that that sort of pop culture um, veil, and then it sort of goes in and out. But now we're in this streaming world, you know, where it's like they're all made as seasons, and they're all on the, you know, on the service. And you know, the whole thing with streaming was always felt like, well, it's a niche, you know, people, you, it's something for everybody, versus what you know the sort of network television that used to be sort of for a lot broadcasting more versus narrowcasting. But yeah. but it's interesting because I think you know we're so we talk about this. 
ourselves a lot about how much our industry, you know, our side too, and the movies, you know, sort of deals in nostalgia, you know, deals in sort of the, the, the mining of that, you know, some franchises more than others. But what's interesting about this, and I guess sort of asking your, your, your point of view about it in the context of the history of the show is it's, it's, and this is what I was saying to Terry, it's a thing, you know, everybody knows the original cast, right? And yet, that idea when you were talking Terry about the well the the people that are doing fan you know doing responses are, are fans right it's like that this season the sort of ideas of this season the show the characters all coming back has the opportunity to sort of to blow up again into things like oh yeah like I I remember watching that show you know my dad would watch that show where it's not just you're in season three of a show that has been made for fans of Star Trek and Picard that might almost go back to what it, it again. This is a. This is not really a question. I apologize, but sort of what that kind of pop culture moment was. But I guess how is it different? I guess maybe in the sort of streaming world. Can I add one thing to that question? To just wasn't really because, a question. Uh, just, well, then let me add a question right. to that. What's the comment? Add a question mark uh, to your um, statement. Thank you. What I'd love to know is because you know a lot of these director, these directors from the '90s have not aren't still working because it was very different. You know, mm-hmm. it was master over, over, right? For a lot of these guys, you have evolved. You've gone from directing TV, you know, starting in the in the 90s to doing features to doing streaming where I would say, you know, two episodes of the show, probably as much as you had to do first contact or close. And, and you evolve with the medium. Can you talk about, you know, how that that evolution has happened because i mean you've worked on discovery you've worked on strange new worlds these are huge shows it's so different and there is different from the offspring that was your first episode if i'm not mistaken as uh, you know um uh, charlie chaplin was from you know babylon that was a terrible analogy i'm fighting my way way (laughs) babylon now um in fairness the the nude batch of, of Star Treks are inspired by and in uh, JJ's world. Mm-hmm. And, and we are encouraged by each of the showrunners and the producing directors to, as Robbie Duncan McNeil calls it, to shoot the thrill. They, right. they, they're encouraged to be cinematic. They're given all the tools and all the time, not all the time, but you, there's nothing that if you have an idea that they'll say, no, we, we won't try that. I mean, you have to get your coverage, but you were really, and that's one of the things to go back to the bridge. I used to go around the bridge and you'd, you'd um, you know, they call it following the puck where you camera goes mm-hmm. from character to character mm-hmm. to character. And sometimes you, you'd, you'd swap the lines just to make the shot work, which is a horrible thing to do to a writer, but occasionally that would happen. Or you'd go all the way across the room. And I remember stopping at the wonderful Sonequa, who's the star of Discovery, and I'd come around and I was, I was about five moves into this shot. And I said, what would Tunde do? Tunde's the producing director on, yeah. on Discovery. And he was, he's a wonderful shooter. And she said, well, you know, Tunde would just keep going. So I said, okay, let's just keep going around the room. That was the, <laughs> that, was the, that was the approach. It was, it was competitive. It was, um, you're only sort of limited by your imagination. So that's the, and also the, the competition on streaming is, is incredible. Yeah. I think I want to give props to our friend Terry before we move too far from the subject that he was being humble about. Not only did he have a plan for the season three, but he had to deal with all of us. It wasn't as complicated <laughs> as, as some of the others, but he serviced all the characters and 
more more mm-hmm. complicated than that. He serviced the actors who were playing the characters. Right. Yeah. All of us thought we were the fucking be all and end all on all things. <laughs> the all, things all things Troy. And it was, and you know, actors, I mean, I used to be a nice little actor. I, we all think we, we know best and off, not often, but sometimes we really don't. We're so selfish and so self-involved and so blinded about our character at, that you don't see the big you're picture. Not the, you're not uh, Jonathan. You're not at all. You're the. In fact, you'll be like, give me the line. I'm, I'm, you'll. you'll, you'll, you'll uh, you're the only one who's like, what are you having in your head? Read me the line. Yeah. And then I'm like, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, that's what it is. Great, let's do it. Like you're. I'm happy. You know, I mean, yeah. when the cast got to see it on the page, I mean, see these parts sort of written in a way that they hadn't been. Well, but, but some actors are are not fair to the. I mean, the writers have been spending months and years on these scripts. And to throw out stuff before you have given it a chance yeah. is... But that's true on any show, isn't it? I mean, well, we, it we, is, we, but it shouldn't be. And yeah. ironically, not to uh, name drop, but on my when I went to movie jail in Thunderbirds, one of the great joys of it before it <laughs> happened was to work with Sir Ben Kingsley. And Sir uh-huh. Ben, who everybody said he's going to fucking eat you alive because he's a director eater, he couldn't have been kinder, he couldn't have been funnier, he couldn't have been better prepared. And one of the things he would announce to these younger actors who were playing the uh, Tracy kids was that your responsibility as an actor is to do everything in your power to make what's on the page work because that writer has worked on it for six months. And, and, wow. and he made a speech to that effect. And I embrace that. Approach. I like that Ben Kingsley. <laughs> well, Terry, I want to ask let's you before we before because, you that, uh, hold on a second. Let's stay on the writer. Come on. I want to because I want to. Yeah, I want to yeah, yeah, ask you, Terry, because you, you've heard. Uh, you know, uh, Jonathan is an actor and a director. Now you are a showrunner and writer, but I, it's not giving anything away to say you also directed on this show. Yes. How was that experience? Because you're dealing with this cast that has known each other for you know over thirty years. That is famous for you know, just having a great old time and, uh, you know, hurting cats might be a good uh, uh, analogy. What was that experience like? Uh, and that was, oh boy, it's a bit of a blur. Uh, and I was, I was lucky that, 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 uh, that Jonathan and I were having such a great time that he was, he would just hang out and, 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 and spend every minute and would read the off camera bridge lines with me. So, um, so that it, it, that was extraordinary. It was terrifying because the last two hours of this thing are as big as any one of these movies, as Jonathan can tell you, uh, with about half the time. And uh, Steve can tell you. Uh, uh, and Steve can tell you with about with about half the time uh, available. So no and, smile on Steve's face is worth a million bucks. <laughs> it, it is, and and, yeah, was, I, mean, and I was and I was at peak exhaustion because I had already done. Worse. We were at, we already had had done the whole season, and there were so many key moments, gigantic Star Trek moments that we had no time to do. Mm. Things that we will come back and talk about, and, and I will say we had five hours to do that entire thing, and we we had we had to but go. There's uh, one sh- fucking shot that is just don't do it. it. <laughs> it is. Oh, it's, oh, I'm, di- I'm dying to know which shot you're talking about. I know you know. Well, I think America one? is dying to is, know. Lay it on thick, Asbel. It, it, I gotta it, say it, that one of yeah, the other sure. things that is so successful 
about this season is all the new characters. Usually yeah. you only want to see the, you know, when you go to see Fleetwood Mac, you want to play the new hit, you know, whoever you go to see, you want to play the, the classics, the greatest yeah. hits. Nobody wants to, see, to hear the new album, right? But you managed to create these great characters. And it's interesting because the history of Star Trek, I mean, the cast ate Merritt Buttrick and Kirstie Alley alive. They hated them, right? Because they felt they were taking their gigs. They, 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 they were the future and that, you know, this could be the end. Is that true? You, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't know that. What's great about, you know, it's one of the reasons Kirstie didn't go back for a lot of other reasons. But anyway, this is not about Star Trek II. So what I love, and I, I, I know how welcoming, you, for the most part, your cast is and how, how warm and ingratiating, but it certainly on screen seems like you embrace these new characters and, um, you know, we're wonderful because they're all to a, I mean, I joked today, oh my God, we got to redo our best characters of Star Trek list because you just came up with a bunch of new characters that are fantastic. <laughs> well, he, I mean, Terry brought his ring in. He brought, he brought Stashwick in. It was, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, we wrote the role for Todd. Todd was, that was a regular on my show, 12 Monkeys. And, uh, he, he played kind of a sociopathic Pete Minkman. Uh, in in the in the apocalypse and twelve monkeys and uh, so when we we wrote it for him and and we were lucky just to we were out of time and I just went to the studio I'm like this is who we're casting I don't have time and they were like okay great we like his we like his it's stuff it's going to be really fun to watch the social reactions as the episodes progress and as I'm, those characters I'm, evolve and I'm how not going to perceive them yeah. I'm not going to spoil anything but one of the things that I liked about the episodes that I've seen is that the new characters seem like they belong in their jobs mm -hmm. whether or not we like them or not well that has to yeah I one of the, you know I think about we can't talk we can't talk about the villain can we uh, no not yet oh, no. we can you say can't one talk thing about, about the villain we can say one thing how great, what, you know, we, again, this gets back to paying homage to the history of Star Trek to cast Christopher Plummer's daughter, right? The, the great General Chang from Star Trek six as one of your main villains. And, and Jonathan did the shot, the chair shot, the same, yeah. the same right. shot. It was like, I said, I said, you got it. Right. And everybody was on board. I said, Dave, you got to give me a chair like that chair. Cry havoc. And, and Jonathan, <laughs> you got to do the shot. And, it, and it's, it's, it's so great. And she's great. I, oh my I'm god! Anxious for the world to to see her because they only in the trailer you only get a little bit of a little taste. Yeah. Um, hey, Terry also very nicely uh, played today on social to introduce our new bridge crew. I thought it was yes, yeah, that was cool. That well, they're, they're just they're really memorable, and I want I, I wanted I wanted fans to know them by name. I mean, yeah. this is a franchise where you get to do that. You get to know a little bit about them before jumping did you, in. Did you, did you lead that, or did, did his PR involved? I, I did. I reached out because I, I, I just they they all they were all so fantastic. Very um, fantastic. They loved being part of this. What did you say? They loved being part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And and Jonathan, you talked about how, you know, D. Kelly was so welcoming you and wonderful to you oh. back in the day. Did you do that for them? You know, like sort of this is the conventions and this is how you're going to what's going to happen and be prepared. And well, they were all very curious. It was the same when you, I went to Discovery in season one of Discovery. There was a whole 
not only are you the guy who is on from the old show, but I know you're on the circuit. I know you're like the second or third biggest Star Trek whore in the all of the convention circuit. And we want to know what that's like. And uh, yeah, there's a there's an awareness of what comes with joining the family now that I was naive to when I was lucky enough to join a family back in 87. Because they were, not, we didn't know those guys. They, 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 you know, until generations, we had not really had any contact with uh, the original. right, other than D and 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 Jimmy. And I and I love the story you tell about D oh. um, in my book, the fifty year mission, about um, how um, D called you after first contact opened. He was a mensch, absolute mensch. I mean, to call you and tell you what a great job you did and that this, you know, well, he did called the me. I ran away to, uh, to a friend's farm in Great Barrington, New York, Massachusetts. Massachusetts, yeah. And uh, to kind of warily wait to see, you know, I think a lot of people do that. Yeah. Let's see what happened with the first, because I the first weekend kills you, right? Or makes you. I and don't remember. Called I was there opening weekend. Find out where I was. And this cell phone. And so Rick found out where I was and, and, uh, this guy called me at, at Pacheni's house and he said, I love the movie. I wish you nothing but luck. I think I didn't know him very well. It was the most thoughtful and it helped me relax into what turned out to be a great experience. But it was, you know, it, it's a, uh, very telling when people. Yeah. That's great. Harry, this this mini series, this mini series, I'm slipping. This this, this season of Picard is a love letter to Star Trek across the board. And one of the things I was really surprised about is it's not just the next generation; it's Star Trek writ large. I wonder if you can tell me sort of what you learned or what the influence was of each of the Star Trek movies, because clearly there's a lot of love there for all the Star Trek movies, and as we see from the very first frame of uh, of the show. Right. Um, I mean, I think that stuff just gets burned in your DNA. Um, and when, pardon me, when they say, all right, this one's yours, you, you know, there, look, there is, there's, there, there's a selfish quality to it. You're like, I'm going to make my Star Trek now. Guess what? Space docks in this one. It's an all new space dock. We're taking the ship out of space dock. I get to hear the dock master talk. Um, Suck it there. Space and- docks in it. <laughs> That's right, Darren. I- Deal with it. Space <laughs> dock right behind me. But uh, you know what I mean? Like, so there, there's, 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 uh, for me, and I, there's the Horatio Hornblower aspect of it, the, the, which, you know, so there's all the, all those movies, and then there's there's again there is first con- there's a, there is a lot of first contact. It, it's not it's not there's a lot of original series. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, uh, next gen in there. So it is kind of uh, a strange cornucopia of Trek everywhere, and then also tries. There's also just weird me stuff in there where you know. As you as Jack's story continues and you get to see there's a little horror in there. There's a little strangeness and um there's 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 uh look, there's 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 stories about parents. It's no I don't think we're saying anything surprising um about about what it what it means to 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 be a parent. Um so it just kind of it it all kind of comes from there. Um but 
like anything, um, all of us here, Star Trek fans, we start to use Star Trek quotes in our daily lives. Uh, I am understandably curious. You just start to, things like that happen. Even your writing starts to shift and things, those influences find a way. And now you're doing <laughs> doing it with the real thing. Um, and it's hard because you don't want fan service. That's that's right. where it's just right. like you're eye rolling. And then there's a couple of moments where I I I am like, did I? I, I probably went too far, right? And but it's not pandering. Mm -mm. There's a no. difference. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, that will I'll be judged very soon, so I, I'm not sure. But it, so it's. But at the same time, there are moments I'm just like, you know what? I I I this may be the only time I get to do a Star Trek, so I want to do it. Um, yeah. And it plays that way, like in the set, in the best possible way, because it, it feels like you are trying to say something about something that means something to you. But you're not just doing karaoke, right? It just the the dialogue doesn't sound like I'm trying to write dialogue the way that they would have written it on the next generation or whatever. It's like it it doesn't feel it it honors that era of track. But the dialogue is just so good. Yeah. Um, and totally. it feels like the characters, but it has its own style. It has its own vibe. I mean, the way Captain Shaw talks, I just, yeah. I love. And you'd never That's imagine that. And it infects everybody around him. Um, you know, just the, you really bring your own voice to it at the same time that you're kind of reaching back to these things and, and honoring them. It's, it's, it's really quite a feat. But we've you talked, can't, we've, you can't put in what God left out. I mean, this is right. the thing we talk about all the time when we talk about development and, you know, we work in various things, the TV and film, and we talk about developing stories and, and, and it's all good and well-intended work for the most part. And oftentimes, you know, you get to this place and it goes, man, I really miss, that first draft, you know, man, missed that thing. And it was like, well, how did we get, you know, here? And it's not necessarily that, you know, it was bad behavior, but it's that thing that you can talk about storytelling. You can talk about plot and you can talk about how a character, but the thing that you can't talk about and that ends up often getting sanded off at the edges, yeah. the things that just there or isn't there. And right. you go, oh, that's good. And you can't give a note or give a thing that says, can you just do that better? And so that's the thing that jumps off the, about the show is that like, it's all of the stuff. It's all the things we love about track, but it's its own good writing and good performance. I mean, you talk about Jonathan, you talk about getting to play Riker in a way that, you know, you, I mean, of all the times you've had the opportunity to do it in a way that was the most fun for you. Like that's just, it's on the page. I mean, it's incredible. We, I, 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 I want to, I want to grab something before I lose it. Uh, uh, forgive me. Um, watching Shaw, especially in the first episode, um, he comes across as someone that you wouldn't like. However, much like we were talking about earlier uh, in uh, a few weeks ago about Captain Jellicoe, uh, the great Ronnie Cox, uh, um, we don't like him any either at first. But he's not wrong. He's not wrong right. in his well, the, right. situation. And that's mm -hmm. the same thing going on with Shaw. And I found that very refreshing and very great because it's 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 learning to deal with people who don't think like you. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear you. We wanted, very much wanted those conversations. In fact, when I, or, do you remember the lunch I had with you and Patrick, Jonathan, where I was like, 
the both you and yep. Riker and Picard are going to have a disagreement and you're both going to be right and you're both going to be wrong and there's really no right answer but how great would it be to see that and you both are coming at the situation from different emotional uh, uh, places um, I, I think that that's you know, Battlestar Galactica was really good. Ron Moore's Battlestar Galactica was really good about that, but there was no real clear answer. Everybody had a, if you really understood everybody's point of view, there was a, everyone was kind of right. Um, and I love that difficult drama. And and Shaw is, he's a good Starfleet officer. He's doing yeah, yeah. his job. He, and, you know, but he's not looking for trouble. Also, Shaw is played by a guy who plays a different instrument than anybody else. I mean, mm-hmm. it, right. Yeah, he's a, yeah. a drummer. I mean, he's he has an entirely different rhythm than anybody else in the show. Well, and you mentioned you know them being at loggerheads and coming in from a different point of view. I mean, I have to say we're all huge Crimson Tide fans here, and I feel like there's a Denzel Gene Hackman thing going on that's just yeah. fantastic. Yes, you're totally um, Denzel, Jonathan. Just want you to know that. Thanks, God. <laughs> I got to ask you because you know Terry talks about waiting for the verdict to come in uh, on the show, and you shouldn't have to because this is one of the toughest audience. I can tell you between Steve, Ashley, Darren, and myself, the fact that we universally adore the show uh, is indicative. Yeah. I mean, the fact of the matter is, when Rob Burnett told us the show was great, we we thought the whole time. He's got to be on glue. He got to be exaggerating. <laughs> There's no way it's just good. There's He's no way. He's going hard out there. He's going uh, hard. He, he, he is. And, 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 and yeah, I love Rob and I respect Rob, but, uh, you know, I said, I, for whatever reason, you know, maybe it's those uh, from conspiracy, those little things took him over. I don't know. <laughs> you but, love uh, Rob, you but, respect but, Rob, but you never trusted <laughs> Rob. But, but you know, we've all watched it in the last week, except for Steve, who apparently watched this earlier. I don't know. But, I don't um, know. <laughs> and we absolutely love it. And and we are a tough crowd. We're a tough crowd. You know, I, I and, did and we, not expect. I, I truly, when you sent me that message, I, I was speechless. I did not expect. Uh, and then Darren, that was the last one. I was there. Was like, yeah, he's, no he's way we're getting Darren. Um, he's the so he's, he's I, the I toughest was, audience I of was, all. I was I was thrilled that uh, that you both responded. Well, especially since I worked on seasons one and two. Uh, Look, we you know we I make was, a big point of not. <laughs> criticizing other people's work because we know how hard it is to make television. Criticizing. It's very hard to make anything. It's just a statement of uh, observation. But I I wanted to ask Jonathan, we talk about reviews. How great was it for Siskel and Ebert to give you two thumbs up? What was that like? That's the best. That was the best. And that was not their cup of tea, that kind of movie. Nope. It was not. And that Most of them they sort of, split they were, on. They were the um, arbiters of taste at that point. That was right Correct. in the heyday. They, yeah, they loved it. And and most of the reviews were all raves. I mean, you had what, you know, Leonard had with the four, where, you know, now he's doing uh, Three Men and a Baby, and, 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 you know, it's like, oh, my God. And it was the same thing for you. This door opened that's allowed you for the next 25 years to, to d- direct all kinds of material. Yeah, it's been a, well, it's been a blessing. There's no getting around it. Do you have, uh, just if you don't mind me asking, while we're still here, Terry, we can we can give you a break. I don't Please, get I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. Jonathan Frakes questions. I mean, you, know, um, you were saying, you know, you obviously knew Rick for a long time. I mean, you were an actor on the show. You directed episodes of the show. Rick's, you get Rick's this wife opportunity is the godmother to, to my son. 
There's a lot of godmothers going around. A lot of godmother energy. I did the whole purpose. I came into my life. Oh my god. Were you feeling? Oh, go ahead. Obviously, he was supportive, but was it weird? You know, you're sort of going into this thing. You said you have a script, but you have ideas. You're a director. You want to. You know, I'm going to do this shot. We're going to do it this way. Was he, and as you say, he's very old fashioned, but was knowing him and him knowing you a help or a hindrance? Absolute help, without a doubt. We had very similar tastes. The same thing's true when I worked for uh, Dean Devlin, who I work for a lot. Yeah. He had a very similar taste in the action adventure comedy genre. And he trusts me, and, and uh, we want the same things out of it. We like to be entertained, we're not afraid of uh, a laugh like to keep the camera moving, but you can't lose track of the story. I mean, Nick was very, very tough on story. Jonathan, he- I saw I saw Dean a couple of days ago, and I told him over lunch, I said, I got to tell you, Star Trek Picard season three is fantastic. And he said, no. He said, <laughs> I don't believe you, because he loves a, a bunch of the other show. He yeah. says, Mark, that that's impossible. I, I You don't like anything. And, I, and I'm like, no, no, it's great. And I, and I said, and I said, Jonathan is phenomenal. He directs two episodes, and he's great as an actor. He's like, I can't wait to see it. So anyway, um, I got to ask what you, what the arc look like? Uh, I, it did really well. Apparently, it had a huge. The premiere was 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 did really well, and um, and it's really good. And I wish him a lot of luck. He it's been a passion project for him for a while now, and. Uh, and it and, and the premiere did extremely well for sci-fi, so that's uh, that's awesome. Now I forget what I was going to ask. I had something I had to ask Terry, but what 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 do we what did you just say, Steve? You were saying uh, uh, I, I was just, talking about Rick Berman. And, oh, that was it. Thank you. Yeah. So Terry, I got a question because you grew up. You were an assistant, as we know, on Star Trek on Star Trek Voyager on Enterprise. You knew Rick. Obviously, as Brandon's assistant, you knew Rick very well. um, Have you shown this to him? Has he seen it? Because this is the first of the Star Trek shows that really connect directly to his era, to what he did. And it's such a love letter to that seven years and those four or three movies. Let's forget about Nemesis, the three movies. So... um, have you talked uh, to him? Have no, you shown uh, him anything? No, you know, he reached out when I when I would was announced as showrunner. Uh uh, because you know, he remembers me from the old days. Um Brandon has, but uh, Brandon has texted often about it um and is very excited in the trailer. Um, so uh so that's that's very cool. Um but no, I, I don't know that I think it, you know, I think it might be a maybe a, a kind of strange or surreal for him at this point to to watch i i, I don't know jonathan what do you what do you think I, I, it's very interesting you brought him up because i think it's going to be too much because hard i mean someone I, else is raising his baby so it's a it's a really good question and one i'll consider continue to ask myself yeah well I, I, <laughs> you guys have been so generous You've been so generous with your time. I want to just say one other thing and give these guys one last chance to ask you or compliment you or whatever. Um, I think it's so interesting because when we started watching Next Generation, we were all single. We were all, you know, much younger. Um, we, um, uh, you know, looked into very different eyes. And and what you've done in terms of not only celebrating the Star Trek family, but family, you know, fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and it's it's and and surrogate families. 
it's so wonderful. You've taken that subtext of Star Trek and made it textual, but in a way that's not cloying, that's not melodramatic. That yeah. It's just so heartfelt. And I, I think that's something that, you know, Star Trek grew up in a good way. You know, it's like you don't have to reinvent uh, you know, it's like when everybody, everybody was, well, Game of Thrones, we want it to be edgy, we want it to be cool, we want it to be hip. Star Trek's never going to be that version of what people think. This is Star Trek at its best. And to me, um, I, that's just something, you know, truly wonderful because I feel it finally grew up with us, you know, and 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 that's a lovely thing. You guys are going to make me cry. Thank you. Well, it's He's right. He's right. We're very lucky that uh, they gave you the, the reins so that rudder or whatever the uh, metaphor is well <laughs> I, 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 really I, I do want to say one thing um you know i i steve and i talked about this a lot it, it, this is a really hard industry to work in it's the hardest business in the world but one of the craziest things is you get to meet your heroes and you get to work with your heroes and doing that with jonathan was just about the most wonderful gift and to become friends with him throughout this whole experience is we just had lunch at arts the other day. I was like, man, I missed this. I want to do this for seven more years and have another, let's do Star Trek legacy. Let's get it on the air right now. Um, yeah. Can you arrange that Steve? Mark? Yes, please. But that's it. That's an, ex it, you know, to have that blessing well, is, is is extraordinary. So much when you when you find the joy in the process and in the people, that's the thing you got to hold on to. We've all had successes, failures, all of that, and it is it feels weirdly harder than ever. I mean, it feels there's so much dislocation, there's so much change, which you know I guess you could argue has always been a feature of the business, but but it feels you know particularly for us on the film side existential in a lot of ways, and right. and you know those relationships and those dynamics and those, you know, when, when you do meet your heroes and, and you can have fun and go, wow, that we did something special, however it does, you know, however it is, it's actually just something that you can treasure. And it's like, I, you know, you talk, Mark talked about generations and kids. Like I'm, you know, my, I'm, trying to get, this is actually, I'm getting my nine-year-old in, into it. We've watched a bunch of next generation and, uh, he's he's come with me on Thursday. We're very very excited, and uh, it's just to be able to share that in a way that's not just, like I said, not just nostalgia. You know, not just like seeing you guys back, but it's like it's real, and there's and it's populated by so many other great characters that you can kind of latch onto. That it's it feels very full, and it's it's just that's what I mean. It's just a joy. Honestly. Steve, my 13-year-old son saw me watching and he saw the characters and he, he's not a big Star Trek fan. Well, Isaac like, is like already hit to all of it. Like, I know. He watched High Noon and Little Caesar this weekend. So my 13-year-old, yeah, he says... Laughed all of our children, by the way. I, like, I, it's incredible. It's a true joy. Well, I talked about when I was just like, I won't show my kids The Godfather because what will happen if they don't like it? Like, I can't do I can't handle it. Yeah, <laughs> and my, my son's seen them and knows the dialogue by heart. I know. So does Ashley's. But... um. It was so funny because he saw me watching. He says, "Oh, you're watching. Why are you watching Star Trek?" And I said, "And and I said, no, this is the, the new season three of Picard." Because why are you watching that? How much do you hate it? And I said, <laughs> and I said, I said, no, it's fantastic. I I I want you to watch it one day. He says, "You like it?" I said, "I love it." <laughs> it was it was it was so funny because even he was like, "Why, why, why are you watching this?" 
And I'm like, no, but it's great. I want to so try and put it a little into perspective from the eyes of a Star Wars fan who started watching the book of Boba Fett and may have been very disappointed uh, as they as they continued watching. But then episode five comes up and it has the Mandalorian in it and it's so good. And the next episode is so good. That's kind of what it's like. What? Wow. No, 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 exactly what you mean. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't like, expect you to understand, a, Mark. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a moment where suddenly everything crystallizes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing, you know, to kind of maybe, you know, tie you two guys together, other than the fact that obviously you, you know, work together so closely on the on Picard season three, um, first contact in Picard season three is, you know, there is an element um to to both of those where uh, uh, audience faith was restored or will be restored. Let's use the proper, you know, verb tense. Uh, but first contact, you know, it wasn't like it was an apology for generations. It was right. a reminder that Star yeah. Trek was great. Yes. It was a reminder that we loved those characters and it helped us see them in a different way. And it became, you know, my probably my second favorite Star Trek movie after Star Trek 2. I mean, God bless you, Jonathan. But like, come on, it's Kirk. And, and the emotional cap on first contact with the action of first contact is so emotional for fans. It, it, it is a it is a reassurance that what you've had your faith in for all this time is still valid. And yeah. it is still, it, it, you know, exacting the same emotional response from you that it always has. And that's yeah, exactly most, what we get in Picard season endings. three. One of the most beautiful endings of any Star Trek. Absolutely. Film. Yeah. I mean, aside from Wrath of Khan, I mean, just that, that, just the birth oh, that, to no. witness the birth of Star Trek and Goldsmith, which is, I mean, well, look, there's a reason we use that as the end credits for, for, for I, I was going to say that was the best. That jumped out at me. I couldn't believe you guys well, did that. I was you, so excited. Why would you not use that, that piece to honor this crew? But, but, but my, yeah. my, my, my point is in that font. Yeah. The fun, oh, the fun. But that moment, the birth, celebrating the birth of Star Trek with the, with the next gen crew there for it, it's, it's just, it's, it's so perfectly. Yeah. Every, every do, I dare, do I dare hope that what we got from First Contact, which I, I think what may have been the most surprising and successful part of it was that you didn't need to know a lot about Star Trek to enjoy that film. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you need to have seen the first two seasons of you the do not. No. Three or get it. no, not at you all. Absolutely it stands the cheese stands alone. You Everything feels like backstory it. that characters would have talked about anyway. You know what I mean? Like nothing feels like you have to know it or it has to make sense to you. There's a there's a there's a context that's established even for things that you don't know. Um, there are episodes of Next Generation it would have been helpful to see, or um, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, Star Trek movies that might be helpful to have seen. But um, it, 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 you definitely can walk into it and enjoy it. It's all it's all contextual. But I got to ask you a first contact question. I don't know if anybody's asked, and then we're going to let you go because you guys have been way generous with your time. Um, opening. Since we mentioned fonts, um, with the the beautiful closing credits of uh, of of Terry Show, really beautiful. Those oh, the closing credits. I actually watch the closing credits through to the end every week because it's gorgeous. But so the 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 eye chart, the optom the night day at the optometrist, the opening credits. I love for, um, first contact. Every time. I love um, it. Was that, was that Berman or Berman. Did, Berman and I did that together? He said, "What do you think of these?" And I, I fucking love them. Yeah. 
side. Mesmerizing. I'll never forget being in the room. And then we decided what color would palette it would be. It, they were so simple. So simple. And so and the score, and the score, they're perfect with the music. Oh. Uh, we could go on and on about Jerry, and maybe be such a better opportunity oh, no. for the technical, the technical difficulty uh, turned into an incredible conversation where we get to connect to, you know, make a straight line between first contact 25, 26 years ago, and this <laughs> right show, and get, get you guys both kind of to talk about it. What a what a privilege! Thank Thanks you. to both of you for fixing Star Trek. Is <laughs> that that we couldn't run the movie? This was, I think, much more fun. Certainly was for me. I, yeah. I, I'm so glad to hear that, and um, it was so great having the opportunity to talk about these. And and I, as you can tell, everyone here is is a genuine enthusiastic fan. Uh, contrary to the internet, we're not being paid by Paramount. Uh, <laughs> we 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 wouldn't take their money anyway. But. Um, I'd love yeah, to, uh, you know, if you guys are game, I, say, take, I would take their money. <laughs> at, some point, available. at some point, it'd be great to, to have you back. So um, Steve can tell you more about why he loves the rest of the season. Um, <laughs> it, but but this, this was a delight. And thank you guys for, you know, spending so much of your time to discuss this. And thanks for this gift, oh, a late Christmas gift for all of us. Well worth waiting for. Thank you for these ridiculously kind words. I, I'm emotional. Well, Proclaimed, we say. Yeah, it don't right. come easy. Isn't that the song? Yes. Yeah. Don't come easy, but you know, when it's earned, earned. It's, it's a pleasure to give, give the compliments, you know, when, when it's warranted. In this case, it's extremely, extremely warranted. And it's all building on that incredible achievement of Jonathan's, you know, 25 years ago with First Contact, which really reminded people then why they loved Star Trek. Um, and it was such a hit that it's not surprising that, you know, Star Trek went on and endured um, because uh, people were chasing that set success of First Contact all these years. And if anything has has matched the impact and, uh, you know, the creative ferment, it's 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 been what you've achieved with this uh with, with this 10 episode series or six that I've seen. I still remember just Friday night, man's Chinese, 1996 standing ovation. I mean, it was, it was the, it was the crowd to go see it with, of course, yeah. uh, in LA, my first year in LA. Wow. And it was extraordinary. It was such a great, great. I saw it eight opening. times that weekend. I, I was responsible it. for half your box office. <laughs> we had the okay. first man's Chinese. At the same theater where we're going to be on Thursday for the premiere. Yeah, I know. Wow. Which is so really was that, that where their premiere was? Was that where First Contact was? Yeah. Oh, I have wow, to be there so at eight o'clock uh, tomorrow morning for the tech rehearsal. And now uh, wow. Patrick's exciting. footprints are out front now. Yeah. His new balance. That's nice. <laughs> nice. Well, even though uh, this will air after uh, you you've gone to the premiere, break a leg, guys. Um, um, at the Chinese, it's. Uh, I hope it's a great night for everyone, and I'm sure it will be. And uh, uh, thank you again, and, and I'm sure we'll be seeing uh, you guys soon. And, and we'll have the uh, monkey shoulders ready for you, Jonathan, and good steak the next time we jaw uh, uh, in uh, some uh, parts unknown. I think we're gonna Richmond is out next. On, we're going to get Cherry out on the uh, convention circuit, by the way, which will be fun. Absolutely, oh, I'm sure they're going to want him. I'd be yeah. shocked if Adam and Gary they're don't want they him. Don't, and certainly, yes, they do. Uh, yeah, they do. Oh, do that cruise thing, the Trek cruise that you guys. I don't think yeah, we do, but you weeks. can't get away. Yeah, you you can't get away. You're trapped. You want the convention? They'll want you. Nice. Yeah, but uh, I'm sure Mike over at uh, GalaxyCon would love to have. Uh, I mean, look, once this thing explodes, 
you're 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 gonna lose everybody's number because you're gonna you know you're in that pot now where you're waiting but it is going to be so embraced. There's going to be so much excitement. And we haven't even talked about Escape from Witch Mountain. You know, hopefully that gets picked up. And, yeah. you know, there would be a loss to Star we're, Trek. We're here talking about, and Steve has a movie that made $2 billion in the box office. He yeah, does. and he's doing I just fine. Who doesn't? Jim Cameron has a movie. We 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 work, uh, I, I like to say, you don't work on Avatar, you work for Avatar. So right. <laughs> but do, don't, do you feel, Steve, that the um, that, that and um, Top Gun have helped to bring the business back? You, yes. Are you, are you optimistic? Yes, I am. I think we, it's 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 really about I think other genres. You know, we've seen horror come back. Um, we'd like to see some more, um, you know, adult skewing films. We'd like to see comedies. You know, we weren't really having a ton of problem with what's that? Eighty for Brady did fairly well. I mean, how about, it, it how actually, about, I mean, how about Cocaine Bear? My favorite. I title. can't wait. Uh, uh, our friends, uh, my friend produced it. I think it looks like a big I think hit. It's gonna be uh, anything with Margot Martindale is great anyway. Margot Martindale. But it's great that just anything that can kind of, you know, stoke a particular audience. Because we've had, you know, event films come out. I mean, yes, for sure. Having Top Gun and, and Avatar do what they're doing is great. But I think the sort of, you know, wanting to see a broader, you know, week by week, um, yeah. you know, consistency really because yeah. I think the other issue is that you know it's been a diet of 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 event movies for a long time that some Even better pre, than pre others. I mean, Jim, right? Yeah. Is Ant Man yeah. next? That's the next yeah. big Ant Man's. Yeah, Ant Man's in. I think uh, Ant Man's the same weekend that you drop. Mm. No pressure. Uh, you're Thursday though. Yeah. Ant Man's on. The, it's the the. I've always felt day. like Ant Man was our competition. So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> It's no, I think it's I, I I am optimistic and and to be honest with with Avatar, I mean it's like you know Jim has been working on the film was working on the film you know six days a week for five years. I mean it's for better or worse. I mean it is all up there. I mean it's the the resources and the money, but it's it's as carefully handmade a film as you could be. Um, and I mean COVID definitely extended the process for sure, and he's been stuck down in New Zealand and. Um, that was tough, but um, you know, now we got to figure out how to do it again. Um, yeah. But don't you have uh, a couple more to roll out? We have about three more, um, yeah. but it's a question. Just, just the, the, at a certain point, what I've and I and I still, having worked on these for now a few years, I the the level of complexity of the process of how he makes them. And his whole team, now, obviously, th th that it becomes math at a certain point in terms yeah. of what's been turned over and what can be delivered in time. Like we you're almost still, didn't make it. You're still limited by the speed of electrons. Yes, and turnovers, but but actually, the the capacity is is not just yeah, it's not just computing power. It's artists. Yeah. It's everything. And so you know the 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 next one is meant to come out Christmas of twenty four. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of work to do. And yeah. meanwhile, Paramount will still not have gotten a new Star Trek movie out. Well, that I, I was going to ask you guys this <laughs> offline because I didn't want to, but I mean, like, what's the future? I mean, how do you guys feel? You, you, Jonathan and Terry, like, can the movies and shows kind of come back in a sync? I don't know. I mean, it's so interesting. It feels like it's mostly the shows now, which maybe is it should be. 
Well, um, I publicly said I was, I was fascinated with Noah Hawley, who I, I love Fargo. And yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. the idea of Tarantino wanting to make a Star Trek movie, I thought was spectacular, whether it was yeah. a, or a, a wonderful explosion. And neither of those seem to have any kind of current. Yeah. And the, the, um, the, the guy left to do Fantastic Four? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Closer. Um, I mean, it's 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 um it's surprising to me. But I see big There used to be room for both. But we're my my question is: you've made a movie, you know, with the show. It's like the the room between what you're able to do on TV and the theatrical experience. Certainly, with the Star Trek movies, which traditionally always had smaller budgets, has has closed so much that how do you, you know, do a movie where people feel like I'm going to go into theater beyond the cult, beyond the fans, you know, to go see Star Trek in a movie? It has to be something really special because they're already getting something special at home that has a feature film production values. And I don't well, know how like they do that. Said, Tide. I mean, it's more of an idea. You know, it's it's what's the what's the movie, you know, as opposed right. to what is the I mean, I think the best way you can say it is it, the film would no longer have to, you know, bear the burden solo of the whole franchise, you know, of keeping it going and keeping it together. It's like, there's, what would be cool? What would there's be a way to do this. Just do Master and Commander as Star Trek. There you are. Yes, we both worked on Master and Commander. I know. That's my right. first movie. They did do Master and Commander as Star Trek. It was Star Trek Two, right down to the condensed right. and well, like I the mean, in the Matara Nebula. But there, yeah, uh, I don't want this. That's this is a whole other podcast. There are lessons, and that's how you know the expectations of a Star Trek film now are just so high. Yeah, and yeah. so I think it cripples a lot of a lot of. Uh, how that gets made and who needs to be a part of it. And, and, you know, is Star Trek the Star Wars? I don't know. And I, I don't know. Um, needs to I, be done for a reasonable number. I, th- I think That's they the want it to problem. be. So, so it, that dictates it, it. It's made differently. And is that, you know, I don't know. Cast, like, the movie cast is spectacular. Chris and Zoe. And sure. And yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Great actors. Simon, all the, the cast of that, franchise is spectacular yeah but the problem you have now is the above the line is so high between bad robot and and the cast you know it's not like the days when you guys were doing it and you know look with first contact you didn't have a ton of money i mean star trek 2 didn't have a ton of money yet they're great movies and you know with the 2009 and into darkness and beyond they kept costing more and more and more this thing isn't going to cost any less and that's that's the real challenge i think yeah, but I think your point is is even more prescient that the uh, there is a movie. It's a ten episode movie or five movies that are just about to drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I, right, well, what you, I've seen could be in a movie theater. You could you could you screen it. these episodes in a movie theater. In fact, I wish I had. I seen can't that wait theater. to see it in a movie theater. By the way, I can't wait. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll let you know how eight o'clock in the morning. I'll let you know how how it translates. <laughs> I'm pretty nervous. <laughs> my, somebody somebody saw it the other day. Uh, on they they tested it and they're like, "You're not even going to believe how well it holds up." I'm like, "All right, well we'll see." Who are you going now? Are you going with Jay Z? Who's going now? No, no. Uh, it's the, the all the, the the PR crew. We'll we'll all be there at eight o'clock in the morning. Nick, not your post supervisor. Oh yeah, they'll be there. 
Oh, okay. supervisor. I'll crank the sound and yeah, we have a. I mean, the sounds really good. We we our mixers were fantastic, so it'll sound like a movie. Even again, you know, if you're at home, turn the lights out, turn the sound up. Yeah. Yeah. Your sound mix is sound great, which is not a given thing. in TV. What'd you say, Steve? Are people? I was actually asking Darren. Are people? People aren't complaining about the sound of the Chinese anymore, are they? Uh, only for Chris Nolan films, right? <laughs> Is that they redid it? I mean, it's a great single laser IMAX. But yeah, the sound yeah, is yeah. They, there used to be a problem with the back wall, but I think that's been fixed. Yes. So I, I, I everything okay. I hear now, it's good. Steve so. Asbell, Jonathan Frakes, Terry Metalis, thank you so much for dropping by. It's always good to see you. Uh, no bumper cars for you this time, Jonathan. That was. Still one of my favorite memories on the librarians was you at the theme park on that scout and, the and, uh, and Felicia Day. And Felicia Day, right? And Sean Aston. That was we had good, good times. But oh. um, anyway, guys, this was great. And seriously, I, I'd love to have you back when you could talk more because this was so much fun. And oh, you got to do this. Wow. All you have to do is ask us. We'll show up. Okay. Oh, <laughs> and and uh, we got to do our first okay? the first contact commentary. Uh, you say that now, but I'm telling you, when this thing hits, uh, you know, and Vanity Fair wants to talk to you, it's uh, going to be come it. Come on, you know, guys. You know, that's a new <laughs> photo shoot. That's where I draw the line. The line is <laughs> yeah. yeah. No father. <laughs> okay. Good night, guys. Good there. luck. Have a great there. screen. Thanks, so everybody. Good night. <laughs> Well, I have to tell you, uh, I think that is now one of my favorite episodes that we've done with Trespass. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's certainly a lot of fun talking about things that you like. Yeah, Isn't it? And we were like running them. out of the old things to talk about. I mean, how many times are we talking about how much we love the survivors? <laughs> the survivors. Brett Circuses. Voice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what my favorite thing about that episode was? It is that talking to Terry. It is. I mean, it's, look. It's it's obvious from the from the show that he loves it, that he loves Star Trek, that he is one of us. But talking to him now, uh, just on the eve of of all of this being presented, it is just so clear how much of himself he has put into the show, and that is not a given. It it tells me that like everything that that felt special when I was watching it is as special as I thought it was. It really is as personal um, as as it felt at the time, and that's just that is so different. It is so rare, and it was just a, it was a privilege to talk to him like in this moment. His adventure is just beginning. Well, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I love what you said, Ashley, because it's true. You uh, Terry clearly cares. And is so invested in this franchise, and Jonathan obviously too. Um, and you can't say that that's been the case necessarily with everyone who's <laughs> had fingerprints on Star Trek over uh, these many years. But these are people that care deeply, and I, 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 I think it's um, it's so gratifying to see that. And it, it, it's funny again. I, I go back to what you know why we've been so vocal. It, it, to call attention 
to this because we really do want to evangelize for it because there's so many people who've closed the door to Star Trek that say, I give up. I, I, I don't, I'm just, you know, the show's, it's over. I'll always have my memories of what I love, whether it be Enterprise or Voyager or Next Generation, the original series. Um, but they, 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 they said, I fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. And I think a big part of us, um, being so vocal about how good the show is, is to let them know that this exists and it's worth their time. I mean, whether the things somebody else, I love when they say, well, you know, how does Paramount feel? Are you allowed to do that? It's like, guess what? We don't work on the show and we're not journalists. We don't care what Paramount thinks. We don't care. It's like we got our own shows to promote. But you know what? We took time from our schedules and the other things that we work on because I think it just caught us by surprise. I mean, it didn't it? Didn't it, Ashley? Oh, my God. Dude, I could not stop watching. The boy who could not stop watching, but watching. It just... It was just, I had to get through it. And not just because we were going to have this conversation, but because I had to know. And when I got to the end of episode six, and I realized that there were four more episodes out there that I couldn't see. Oh, my God. And then I did the math on how long it's going to be before I can see them. Oh, dude. It was (laughs) was just such a pleasure. Look, and I want to watch them again, which is not an experience I've had in a long time. We got to get more views. <laughs> wanted to watch, you know, uh, where I wanted to watch, you know, new episodes of Star Trek, you know, for second or, or third time. Yep. And, um, you know, it's a binge worthy show. I mean, I'll say I, I watched the whole thing in a night, you know, and um, that's because it's just so it's it's so compelling and it leaves you wanting more. And uh, speaking of wanting more, I certainly hope that um, Terry and Jonathan and maybe some of the other members of the creative team will join us in the future because I'd love to be able to have uh, discussions where we can uh, where talk, we can talk about things. That's right. Where we can Picard talk specifically. Season three really is life from lifelessness. They must visit this place again. Because <laughs> there's some really amazing things, uh, you know, coming up. Um, there's some surprises. Um but, you know, most surprising of all, and I think Ashley talked about this on the show, is how potent it is uh, emotionally that this is not a nostalgia piece. This is not something driven by, you know, oh, yeah, we used to like this and now they're all back. And isn't that cool? And uh, this this is something that uh, even if you've never seen the show, there's something of great value to, to mine and just really great writing. And, you know, that's what I look for. I know, you know, uh, for Darren, he looks at a lot of the production design and the fonts. Uh, you know, I think first and foremost <laughs> to me, um, you know, Star Trek is built on the foundation of great writing. And this continues of a tradition of great writing in Star yeah. Trek. Look, it's, so, the, uh, it, it's the difference between, uh, it's the difference between looking at old photos and getting a current letter from home. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's what it's like. Yeah. So for all of you who uh, say uh, that we're somehow in Glorious Tricks, which is an original a show that only deals with TOS. Well, I don't know what show you were listening to, because we've been doing this for five years and we've talked to a lot, a lot of shows. And now we're talking about something. Well, there she sits. <laughs> we're talking about a show that you can watch this very day that just debuted on Paramount Plus. We We urge you. If you're not a Paramount Plus subscriber, 
to uh, to get it. Um, I'm sure they have a free, free preview or, or something, and they don't. Uh, I don't know how much it is, but uh, but uh, you really um, owe it to yourself to um, for the price to of check a it cup out. Of people coffee. are going to be talking about it. People are going to be talking about it. There's going to be a lot of conversations. It, it, it's 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 going to be like the old days. There's so many great great um, things to talk about on the show and Easter eggs as well. Um, and that even today, Ashley texted me about something. He said, did you see this? And I'm like, no. Oh, my, how did I miss that? And, um, and eggs being so expensive, they're very good to see. Okay. Because <laughs> we all need the eggs. So uh, anyway, well, this this was this was a real delight. And again, a very special thanks to uh, Steve Asbell, who took his time from uh, counting the money that Fox is making on Avatar 2 uh, to uh, Jonathan Frakes, uh, who who has two episodes he directed coming up this season. They're both spectacular. Um, and uh, Terry Metalis, who has restored our faith as well as our sons. <laughs> so... Um, but we'll be back next week. And, and guess what we have coming up next week? We have the preempted episode. Right. 101 Greatest Characters of All Time, The Rebuttal. The rebuttal. This is the episode where we <laughs> the get revenge. taken to task by um, um, a, a bunch of uh, uh, TV showrunners and directors and, and all Star Trek fans, one and all, who tell us how we got it wrong on our countdown or how they think we got it wrong. Right. Of course we didn't. It was the perfect right. list. Um, but uh, they will um, they will tell us who they would have put on the list, where we thought that people were too low or too high. Um, and uh, we're very excited to... Just uh, listen in. You'll, you'll love it. We'll yeah. share it with you. And, and, and it will speak you will to a lot of you. As much as we it, will, it will speak to a lot of you who thought we were crazy with some of our picks. So um, I think you'll enjoy it. And that will be our final word on the 101 greatest <laughs> characters in Star Trek history. Um, but over the next couple of weeks, uh, we'll have uh, David Gerald uh, talking about his experience on Star Trek. We'll be uh, revisiting uh, Picard Season 3, I'm sure. Um, we have a commentary coming up on Nemesis that you don't want to miss. And a lot more great things. And of course... Darren, myself, and Ashley Edward Miller will all be in Richmond, Virginia at the end of March for GalaxyCon Richmond. So uh, we're excited to see you. Or should I say Darren and Ashley are excited to see you. I will be there too. <laughs> and uh, Avoiding uh, scooters. <laughs> and uh, I hope that you'll be able to uh, to join us. We're going to have some great swag, some great panels, uh, and they're going to have some spectacular guests. So, uh, and if you can't meet us there, we'll be in Raleigh, uh, Raleigh, Virginia, Raleigh, North Carolina later Raleigh's this year. Carolina, we'll yeah. be at Comic Con, of course, in San Diego, our regular haunt, uh, and um, we'll also uh, be in Austin in, in the fall, Austin, and, and course, back in Columbus in the winter. And of course, uh, it, it appears uh, that will be. Uh, I don't think it's been officially announced yet. But uh, um, if you're a fan of um, gambling, if you're a fan of stakes, Atlantic if you're City, a fan of uh, casinos, uh, there is an event happening there that we haven't officially been announced yet. But uh, I think it's very likely you will be seeing us make. Everyone's that. invited, of course. Vegas, baby, <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> And uh, the last but not least, I understand that uh, Doug Drexler uh, made a comment that um, uh, that, that he, he specifically singled out the fact that I liked uh, Star Trek Picard and said even the tough nuts uh, are, are, um, are are raving about this. And I have to say, I'm not a tough nut. I just have good taste. And uh, 
you know, I said, you know, I prefer, I prefer, I prefer Michael Pillar calling me the Antichrist of Star Trek to being called a truth <laughs> nut. So, um, huh? um, yeah, but you know, it's like, oh, who are these people to, uh, why should I listen to them? What, you know, it's like, are Trek bona fides? Really? You need to hear them again? The man who did Star Trek, the motion picture director's edition, the Hollywood screenwriter and showrunner, Ashley Edward Miller, and the guy who literally wrote the book on Star Trek. And Several a TV showrunner. Yeah, we don't really know much about Star Trek. We we you should, there's no reason to listen to us. Yeah. In fact, don't stop listening now. Yeah, turn it <laughs> off, man. Okay. And uh, if you want to share your opinion, we'd love to hear uh, what you think of Star Trek uh, season three. But if you've watched it, we don't want to hear. Well, I'm waiting to see what the, if, if That's you not an opinion. It, you want to share your opinion, you can follow us on Twitter at Inglorious Trek or on Instagram at Inglorious Trek Experts, Facebook at Inglorious Trek. And uh, of course, you can rate us five stars uh, on your favorite podcast platform. And of course, you can subscribe to the Trek Experts and get bonus episodes of Deck 78 um, at TrekSpertsPlus.com. So we hope you'll uh, you'll join the uh, join the adventure, fire the rockets and come on board. Um, so until next week, when we return with the top 101 Star Trek characters, the rebuttal on behalf of Ashley, Darren, and myself, we'd like to thank a big shout out to Mark Rivera, Peter Holmstrom, and the entire Inglorious Trexperts team. And until next week, and especially this very special premiere week of Star Trek Picard season two, three, three. not season two, <laughs> season three, um, keep on trekking ingloriously, of course. Engage. <laughs>